Amen. You may be seated. So I received an email this week, Monday, you are chosen. Uh, We got confirmation, me and Rachel, for a pastor's retreat in Colorado, Denver. Yeah, this was mind-blowing. So uh, it was on a whim I did this. Um, We saw one of uh, a retreat. John Tyson has a retreat in, John, uh, in Colorado, Denver. It's a dude ranch. And so if anyone can help me understand what the dude part is in front of the ranch, that'd be really awesome to know because I don't know really what I've signed up for. But it was all paid for. You just needed to get there. And I was like, shoot, I'm going to try that out. My friend had sent the link. You should go for this. It was on March 6th. That was Eliana's birthday. I'm like, mm, Rach isn't going to go for that so much. But I'll fly over to her anyway. God, maybe next time we'll go to do it. And she responded, Let's do it. And so already I'm like, oh, this is, this is different. Okay, let's do it. And so you have to fill out a form, like why you feel like you should go. And so you kind of put a story about who you are. And I sent it off just kind of forgetting about it. Like we just won't, it won't happen, whatever. And uh, funny enough, we got on Monday an email, but it was an email saying from the late Angie saying, hey, just checking you got my previous email. Um, are you still wanting to go? And suddenly checked back through my emails because the time title was hold fast. I was already fasting and I was like, I don't want another email about fasting, right? So I deleted the email, which was super funny. But thankfully, Angie was very kind and said, do you want to come? We were like, absolutely. Like, this is going to be amazing. Rach is turning 40 this year and uh, it's 15 years of wedding anniversary. So we would tie in this amazing event. But it was funny after being chosen, instantly I was felt with this kind of anxiety inside of me. I've only been lead pastor for three years. These people are heavyweights. Like, I feel very unqualified to even go there. God, why have you even enabled me to go there? I did not think anything about that I could bring to this space. And suddenly, this chosenness became a weight and an anxiety. Do you ever find that? That when you're chosen for something, suddenly there's this weight that I don't measure up because Being chosen in our world is mixed up with our abilities to maintain it. Being chosen is mixed up with our abilities to be able to maintain our chosenness. And so we have, better words, an identity crisis in our world. Yeah, we go, identity crisis. Um, Our world, we fight to be chosen. Whether you lived in a family of favoritism, your parents not unknowingly treated another child more, and so you kept trying to fight to be seen, to be known, and that leaks into our lives. We have a hustle. We have a grind that we try and perform to be better than the other person, to be seen. It comes out on social media, the right appearance constantly curated to show that I've got it together, that I deserve to be chosen. Anyone else feel that in the room? And we call it, actually there's a syndrome to it, it's called the imposter syndrome the imposter. You feel like you're always wondering, are people going to find me out? That actually I'm not as good as what I think I am or portray that I am. If they really knew who I was, I wouldn't experience the things that I can do or do. And so we have this good enough mentality and we live in this constant anxiety that I am not enough. It's the breakdown of the family. The father brings identity over children mixed with the narrative of you find your truth. 
This is the narrative that we tell the world. Hey, you find your truth, your identity, whatever you identify as, you be it. But the lie that comes with it, because it's ridiculous anyway, you can't identify yourself. In fact, it was never meant to be someone you identifying yourself, though discovering who you are is a real thing that we need to do. But your identity was never formed by you. It was always to be imprinted by someone else. And because we have the lack of the family situation, we are forming our own identities. And so we're fighting to keep that identity. Does that make sense this morning? Like we fight to say, this is who I am. Because we think this is success. Therefore, no one's identifying me. I make my own identity. So I will make this, whatever success is, and we strive, and we push, and we pull to make ourselves chosen, and it feels exhausting. And this is the story that we are bathed in, in this situation. So we are in a series at the moment called Holy Love, and we've been going through um, Leviticus, believe it or not, Um, this amazing book that has really kind of taken a new life in And so we are cultivating a desire because the first of the year, our rhythm to our church is to make God first. To say that, God, we want your love. We want you to be first in our lives. And I I believe that we can do that through the book of Leviticus. We have this amazing truth, this catechism from the Westminster. I love this. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever is the pursuit of what it means to be a Christian. And Leviticus is not just some priestly tech manual with a bunch of strange ancient laws that make us feel real weird. Um, No, it's a love story, this book is. God, the God who breathed the universe, has drawn near to His people. He has come near. His presence has drawn. His goodness is here. And now what on earth do we do? And Leviticus is answering the question, how do we come close to a holy God? It is the gospel of the Old Testament, as some authors call it. And so in that, um, we had a couple of themes that we've just visited. Holiness. Holiness means goodness. We think of God's holiness like the sun. It is good. It is very good. It feels good when we get to go to the beach, when we get to go on in vacation and spend time, especially in southwestern Pennsylvania, right? When the sun comes out, we are like, whoa, there's no clouds. There is a sun. And you're just saying, oh, that's the color of the sky. Um, That's really strange. Because we love the goodness of the sun. Some too much, uh, as they should not enjoy it so much. But because also the sun is good, but it is dangerous. Get too close. Stay out too long. Don't look at the sun, we tell our children. Because it is dangerous. And that's the holiness. It is good, but it is dangerous. And so we need a sun suit to be able to walk in the goodness of God. And that's atonement or at one that we now, because of a sacrifice that we could not provide for ourselves. Can I tell you today, there is nothing in you that can bring you close to God. Nothing in you. And from the beginning, God said, you need to make a sacrifice. You need something else that is perfect to die on your behalf so that that blood can draw you close. 
And we see that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's a grace message that you could never earn it nor deserve it. It is that free gift that comes from the outside into our lives and brings us close. This is in Leviticus. And in the last two weeks, we've been looking at surrender. These offerings have a message. These five offerings have a message, and they all mean complete surrender. The burnt offering being the first one is the main one because it gets all consumed. It gets burnt completely up. And God's saying, this is the life that I'm looking for. In fact, it reflects on itself. I don't ask for sacrifices as just a practical way of getting to me. No, there's a heart message. I want your obedience. I want all of your heart. I want all of who you are. I know all of you. I want all of you. I want to consume all of you. And God actually had us spend two weeks on surrender. I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. They are a theme, as Michael wonderfully pointed out. God is wanting us to surrender into his love. And really where we're going next is a continuation of that theme of surrender. So just a quick 30,000, go back out again, because we're about to make a shift in Leviticus. Leviticus has three movements to it. It repairs, it restores, it reforms. Can we say this together? It repairs, it restores, it reforms. And this is the journey. The first seven chapters were about how God repairs a broken relationship with his people. And now we're shifting into a new narrative. Eight to ten is where we're going to be today, but God longs to restore. And so the very first passage that we read in First Peter actually marries over, it actually overlays what God does in the ordination of the priesthood. In chapter 8 of Leviticus, we get a narrative, we get story, we don't get just rules, we get a story. Leviticus 8 is about the priests being ordained. Now people are going to be able to connect with God. God has repaired, and now he's looking for people, a holy people, to be mediators that bring God close to them. And so Peter highlights this because he reads the Bible, and he says this, it's a chosen race. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Because of Jesus, now we are all called royal priest. And so I wanted to put that lens on you today because what we talk about when we talk about priests, insert yourself into that space. Because of Jesus, this is the new reality. So you're a royal priest. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Notice that language that Peter turns up the volume on what it means to be a priest. And the language is evident. You are chosen. You are his possession. You are his people. You were not a people. And now because of him choosing you, you are now a family. You are now one. You did not have mercy, but now you have mercy. And this is good news this morning. If you hear nothing else this morning, you are chosen. You are God's possession. This is the truth that we are going to be unpacking here today. And so we see the very first words out of Leviticus as we move to restoration. The very first words the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his son, choose 
Aaron and his sons, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull for the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, because we're about to do business. We're about to do some restoration. And so the first action of God's restoration is identity as chosen. And I want you to get hold of this. Identity is I'm not going to go to the royal priesthood, the action. I want you to understand your identity today is based in you being chosen. Not even for the action that God has for you. I want you to hold on. God has chosen you. Just sit with that today. God chooses you before the foundations of the earth. God saw it fit that you would dwell for such a time as this that you have the capacity inside of you for what God wants to see transform in the world here and now. That's mind-blowing news. That God knew from the beginning, I want Joe, Leah, Michael, Larry. We want these people in this space to say, you have the gifts, you have the goods, and I want to move through you because I chose you. I chose you. And God has a very countercultural way of choosing people. He chooses a Moses, who was an ex-murderer. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Ruth, who was an immigrant, woven, woven into the narrative of God's story. He took a forgotten son in King David and made him king. That's the type of choosing that God works, that we as Gentiles are now adopted into a new family, and we get to call him Abba. This is important for us to understand that when God chooses you, he chooses you into a family because the proximity of his choosing is intimacy. When he chooses you, he doesn't choose you just on the basis of what you can do for me. God's choosing says, I see you, I see all your brokenness, whether like Moses, ex-murderer, prostitute, immigrant, Englishman here today, he chooses the strange things of this world to confound the wise because he says, I don't care about what you've come from. I want to bring you into a closeness, a proximity. I am Father and you will be my children. And the greatest proximity that you can have, not a manager and the staff, no, you are chosen into a family. You have been given a role, not based on your abilities, not based on who you are. You have been given a role because God's good, because of God's goodness, because His choosing of you is the qualification. Can we take a deep breath out this morning? That He knows the stuff you've brought in the room today. He knows the thoughts you're having even now. And he says, I still choose you. Because that's the beautiful thing. Who did God choose to be priests? Aaron and his sons. Now, we just need to go back a few pages to Exodus 32 and know what these guys did. Well, Moses up the mountain, they made another God. They made their own Yahweh, their own Elohim that they could worship. And so you can imagine with all the other culture, there were people that didn't follow what maybe Aaron did. Maybe there was other people that were more qualified than Aaron the sons that didn't do the wrong that was done. But God said, I don't care because it's for my name's sake. Amen? 
that God doesn't care about your history. He's telling a story through your life. It's not about your actions, though it would be nice if we lived a holy lifestyle to show the world a different narrative, amen. But he says, your past does not disqualify you. God's redemptive action is, it's my will, it's my ability, not your ability and not your will. God is saying, I choose you in close proximity to come close to me because that's the heart of a good father. I want to build a picture for you today of there is a father who is smiling at you. A father today, even now, amongst all your brokenness that says, I choose you. I choose you, not because of your ability, not because of your willingness, but because I choose you. You And so our resolute is to find our identity in God, having nothing to prove. Our identity in God, having nothing to prove. Now, does that feel like a new thought for some people in the room today? That your identity is in God, having nothing to prove. Well, how does this even happen? Because, like, that's a nice saying, Johnny. And let's go through some of the texts here today. Because the first action that these priests who were chosen before the foundations of the earth, they were chosen, we were chosen. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. First action, hold on to that, water. Second action, and then he put the coat on him and tied the sash around the waist and clothed him with robes and put an ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band and placed the, the breast piece on him. And in the breast piece, he put the urim and the thurim and he put the turban on the head and the turban in front and set a golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the beautiful picture of what is happening. Your chosenness means to be washed and clothed anew. First, washed. We need to be washed. For you who are not a daily shower person, you need washed. (laughs) Uh, There's a growing culture amongst our millennials where we don't wash every day. I'm a washer every day. I'm going to throw some... some shade on that kind of stuff. That's just me. Um, anyways, uh, it blows my mind. I can't go. Shower is, I don't have coffee, but I have a shower. Like, I need to shower. So we're washed every day. We all need washed. And to those who think that they've earned their right to be here today because they've done enough good things, because you've lived good this week, you feel like you can be in this place today, you need washed. You need washed. We all need washed. Washing is that beautiful humility that says, you know what, no matter what moral stance I think that I'm good enough, God says, you stink. You need washed. But to those in the room who feel disqualified, who almost operate in a false humility of, I'm never going to be good enough, there is washing, amen. That God comes and washes us by the blood. That He restores anew. No matter what you did last night, God's mercies are new every single day. And so when we come humbly into His presence and say, God, I need washed anew today. I need to be made clean. He is faithful. He is faithful to wash and clean us anew. But it's not just freedom that He's bringing into your life. 
He's re-identifying you. And this is the cool get-up that they started to look like. Like these guys who were washed in a society that didn't wash very often, on top of clothing that was, was blue, white, royal colors, on top of some bling rocking as well, with gems, they would sparkle in the sun and you would see a whole new human. You would recognize them. If you were coming to bring your sacrifice, you'd be like, what is that? I have never seen anything like that before. See, Paul picks up on this in the New Testament. He's big on the new clothing in Galatians and Colossians. He says the same thing over twice. Take off your old clothes. You have been washed anew. Stop wearing stinky clothes. Take on the new identity that is in Christ Jesus. That is not your old habits or your old ways. It is new life and new clothes. Because uniforms mean something. If I put on, if I was clergy, wouldn't that be fun? If I should have rocked up with a dog collar going on right now. And you, know, you would have, a dog collar is the white collar with the black. That's what we call it in England. I don't know if you call that, if I've offended anyone. But if I'd rocked up like that, you'd be like, that's not what Johnny wears. But would you have treated me differently? It is funny, isn't it, when we see the black robes on, or the robes in general. We were at a wedding last week, and I loved the, the, the royal clothing that was being worn. It really did separate and remind me of who I am in Christ. Though it feels like a lot of times we diminish because we're like, well, that just feels like royal like religiosity. But actually, all of you are clothed in robes that it's not like, you know, I don't like to take shots at other churches, but the Catholic church that says that these are the incarnate Jesus to us. It's not the gospel. They are amazing brothers and sisters, but that's just, that's the angst I have with them. It's like, this is the truth. We are all now royal priesthood because of Jesus. We all have this communion with God, which is so beautiful. And so the joy is, maybe today you say, well, I got chosen into the wrong family. I got chosen into an abuse. I got chosen into these different scenarios, and it feels like I can't get out. God is saying, I'm going to wash you brand new. That is not you. But I've given you a new identity as well. I've given you a new uniform. Will you walk in that uniform today? The discover of our true self does not simply mean freedom, it generates vocation. Vocation meaning calling. So you're not just free, but you're called to something more than you could ever believe or dream. Like that's the gospel right now. You are called to be mediators of heaven and earth. So let's carry on. So Leviticus 8, 22, 23. So they've washed. They've been clothed anew. Moses will begin to uh, sprinkle blood around the altar, around the tent, purifying all the surrounding area. And then he comes to the purification of the priest. And he presents the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and the sons lay their hands. Remember, laying on of hands is to say, this is now me, the perfect sacrifice who dies on my behalf. And it kills. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the earlobe, right ear, so everyone grab your ear, hold your right thumb, and then grab your big toe. Some people do this. Okay. Notice the right side. You're hearing, you're doing, and you're walking. God wants to purify, to set you apart holistically as a Christian. We're not just saved in our minds. We're saved with our hands. We're saved with our walkings. That God is wanting to redeem and tell a different story through all of your 
being. So we are hearing, doing, and walking. To summarize this, this is the Shema. This is a prayer that the Israelites would pray every single day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You may have heard that. Jesus considered that the most important commandment. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is what it means because Shema, to hear, is to do. We don't have in the English vocabulary the word that does two, hearing and doing. So when you hear, you do. And that's why the prophets would say about the Israelites, they hear but they don't do. They have ears, but they don't hear. Because hearing and doing are intrinsically one. And so our hearing, notice the first thing that gets purified is your hearing, because your hearing informs your doing and your walking. And so we need to, as Christians, purified, we need holy hearing here today. So you have not only been purified, washed anew, given a new identity, you need a new type of hearing here today. This is what we do. We have a failure of hearing. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden. It was the cleverly worded whispers of the snake, of the false identity over Eve, that if you eat this apple, you will be like God, when the reality was they already were like God. There was a lie that was spoken, a crafted words that twisted the identity of Eve that caused the, the derailing of creation because there was enough truth that sounded like God and Eve took. And this is the war that we have in our minds, Christians. There is a constant battle of the mind, of the words in your mouth. Which will you listen to? Will you listen to the fruits of a father that says, Beloved, I love you. Or will you listen to the message of self that says you've got to strive, you've got to work, you've got to take to be able to have the identity that you so long for? Will you surrender and let God be beloved? Or will you strive and take? See, the thing is, fruit comes from belovedness. And somewhere along the lines, Eve had lost hearing the voice of God, heard a similar truth, and decided that taking fruit was better than living in the fruit of a beloved father. I don't know where the shift happens. The story doesn't care to tell us. But there was a shift in Eve that said, my being in the belovedness was not good enough fruit, and I'm going to take of my own fruit. And self performance was born. Self-performance left to, led to self-coverage. And so they put on fig leaves. This is shame that we put on. We put on shame as fig leaves, this shame we cover up, curating enough to other people of who we are. We try and think about the life hacks. In fact, that's why society, void of God, will always be drawn to the life hacks of life and the vision of how I can cover myself up. That's why self-help books, Void of God, are so dang popular. Because we all put on fig leaves. We all try to have the life hack, Christians as well, like listen to that sermon, listen to that teaching, and all we're doing is putting on fig trees, fig leaves, sorry, 
to cover up our vices, to cover up our shame, because really we live in a self-performance culture. The church lives in a self-performance culture. And the covering up of fig leaves that we put on is really defending ourselves against the intimacy of a love of a father. And we have this crucible, this issue with our very souls that says, God, I love you, but I'm only going to show part of who I am. God, I love you, but actually I kind of like my sense, because God does see all of you, but this false sense that this is some of who I am. And all we're saying is, I've got this, God. I'm going to perform. I'm going to do it. And we shut the ears to the goodness of a beloved son and daughter. And God is shouting in your garden, where are you? Where are you? It's God who comes and pursues Adam and Eve. It's God who comes into the brokenness. And he's inviting us, let your defenses down and get naked. Now, not literally. Okay. We're not starting a nudist Conley. But figuratively, metaphorically, for those online who would make a wonderful YouTube tap out of that, we become naked to receive the truth of who we really are. The problem is, fig trees really work well. That's why Christianity works so well. You can have life hacks of biblical truth and never encounter God. You can, because what happens when you take from a fig tree? Well, the leaves begin to die. So you need to grab a next life hack. You need to grab a next vice. And you're constantly, tirelessly trying to grab and grab and grab when God is saying, would you just die, surrender, to my chosenness of you and just be with me. That's hard. Because even as we in our connect group we're going through prayer of contemplation and the hardest thing is to be still with God. To just be still and sit with Him. Not say anything. Just meditate on Jesus. That is the hard. But that is the ultimate goal for all of us. We want to be people of His presence. And the Bible story is a father who relentlessly pursues his children. We need a savior. We need a new heart. And that's why Jesus says, is anyone thirsty? Come and abide in me. Those are the invitations of Jesus. I love this quote from Henry Nouwen, uh, Catholic. See, I do like the Catholics. He was a good, he was a good one. Catholic uh, theologian. He says this, why is it important that you are with God? and God alone on a mountaintop, metaphorically. It's important because it's the place in which you can listen to the voice of the one who calls you the beloved. To pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. To pray is to let the voice speak to the center of your being, to your guts, and let your voice that re voice resound in your whole being. He's called you. He's chosen you. He's washed you. He's clothed you. And the greatest challenge of all is that you constantly hear the words, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. This is the challenge. 
Because I think enough of us get washed over and over again, and we still wear our fig leaves. We even put on new clothes with the fig leaves on top. And God is saying, I want you to be vulnerable with all of who I am because you can't understand my true chosenness of who, I, who I've called you to be. You cannot grasp it until you take off the fake, false self. You can wash it all you like. You can even put clothes over it. But until you understand that you are deeply loved and chosen from the foundations of the earth, more than what you've done, Jesus even defeated the enemy because of this one phrase, this is my son whom I am well pleased with. Before God did any ministry, he was chosen, he was loved, and that truth propelled him to defeat the enemy. Do you know that you're deeply loved and chosen today? And that's okay if you don't. Because this is the important thing. And just to finish up our narrative here today. So receiving God's goodness is our goal. We've got to learn to surrender, to know that it was never about our abilities, but it was on God's alone. And this is just where the narrative ends here. And it ends on a painful note. Remember this wonderful celebration that we had where now uh, the children of Israel have now this moment where God's presence descends. They do all the rituals for seven days. For seven days, um, they, uh, so think of Eden, seven days of creation. Seven days, these um, priests are now ready. And on the eighth day, new creation, they have a celebration. God's cloud comes down on the tent. A lightning bolt shoots out, which is pretty dang cool. And it sets the fire alight. It burns up the sacrifice and they fall down in worship. Shekinah glory, like the goodness of God in this space. It's like for a moment they're thinking, is this the moment that we talked about in Genesis 3 where man is now going to be the fulfillment of all the promises? They must have been thinking that. This is it. We finally arrived. We've made it, guys. But no, because humanity has a problem. The sons of Aaron took their censers and put them in the fire and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to the command. So the fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them. It ate them. So again, Garden Eden language, it ate them. The fruit that they were trying, that false fruit, ate them alive. And it died before God. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. He accepted what the reality was. Because the reality is today, and I just want to invite the worship team up, because we're just going to take some time to reflect on this. How are you living chosen? The story changes out of this goodness. They took, they took, they operated in unauthorized ways. Aaron was the only one who was meant to do that job, and it wasn't their job. So the story is undermining parents' authority, their way of doing things, we're going to roll with it. And that's the danger that we live in when we don't understand. We can wash ourselves, right? We can clothe ourselves anew. But if you're not hearing you are beloved, you are always going to take control. You're always going to usurp the authority that's above you. This is, America's a prime indication of it, right? The authority figures are being diminished because a nation is moving away from Christ. 
it is moving. If that is not a telltale sign of where America is heading as God, godly nation, when we want to take control, we will usurp it for ourselves. We will, do, we will undermine. We will not honor the authority in our lives anymore. We will say, we'll do it our way. We're going to take control because we are not hearing God anymore. We know this for a fact. It's been happening for a long time. But I just want to bring this truth before you, that contrasting story. As I said, you can be washed. You can put on new clothes like these guys did and still operate in false control. And it's really tiring. And the story leads us to show that it will lead to death just lead to a life you experience here and now, and you'll just walk away from the faith. What is that all about? I washed myself. I clothed myself in you. And God said, but you didn't give me you. It's like where Matthew, those haunting words that we hear of Matthew, where Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount gives this amazing exhortation of how to live. And he ends with this story that says, These people came to him saying, we did the goods, we did the signs, we raised the dead, we did the signs and wonders, we saved people in your name. And he says, go away from me, I didn't know. And that's always been the heart of the Father, for you to relinquish your control of you being the provider, you being the protector, you being the one who fulfills your purpose, your identity and that you reinstitute yourself, you repent, for better words, you change your thinking, you change your mind on a daily basis, and you hear the words, my beloved. You hear the words, I love you. But every morning that you wake up, you make space to be filled with the identity that you are chosen before you are a doer. You are someone that is deeply loved, deeply affirmed, And out of that identity, out of that love, you transform. Out of that love, you reorientate yourself to the way of Jesus. It's the invitation that Leviticus is bringing us. It's the story confliction of the humanity. Because we will always take control when chosenness is not at the center of our being. Church movements have fallen apart because they've operated in taking control. Think of the story of David, Uzziah, when he touched the ark. He took control of God's presence and died. There is a danger within all of us to take control of God's life for us. And the invitation today, the song that's going to be sung, is called The Pride of a Father. So just with every eye closed, I just want to do something with you today to activate you. Just lights down, please. Just as we come into this holy space. Would you envision... God before you right now. And I'm talking about God the Father, not Jesus. God the Father. When you bring that picture to mind, what does it look like? Do you see a Father that is smiling and His light is shining on you? Do you see a God that is angry, that is almost proclaiming judgment, disapproval over you? We're all in different spaces, but I want to tell you the truth today is that God deeply loves you. In fact, the song we're about to sing, He has pride over you. There is a pride of the Father that deeply loves you. And my words will not change your mind, but I know an experience with God will. 
We want to create space. We want to make space, and it's a safe place for you to experience the Father's love this morning. Because how you see God is how you see the world. How you, as Tozer said, how you perceive God is how you will perceive the world. If you see God as a CEO, management guy, far off, controlling the universe, not caring about your life, you will live that way. But if you see a God who intentionally cares about every part of who you are, he sees your brokenness, he sees your pain, and he's smiling. He's weeping for some of you today. He's weeping with you, not tears of disapproval. He is weeping because he is so desperately wanted an intimacy with you, for you online this morning. He is passionate about intimacy with you. He chose you before you could do anything. He loved you while you were yet a sinner. He chose you. And the journey we must take is to surrender our capacities and hear the words, my beloved. To hear the words, I love you, my child. So as this worship team plays over you, I just invite you to almost in a posture, open your hands in front of your lap this morning to say, God, I know I don't feel you right now. God, I know I don't deserve it. But would you posture yourself to receive these words of truth over you? Because this is the word of God. He loves you. He has chosen you. You are a royal priesthood. Your identity needs changed. But you need hearing ears to be able to live out the calling God has for you. So Holy Spirit, this is not a common moment. This is an uncommon moment. This is uncommon ground we are standing on because your presence is here with us. Not because of the building, but because your presence is here. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Do the work that no word of man can do. Do the work and transform the heart that no one can do. Let's just rest in his presence.